0: a couple more minutes and we don't have another person here um, from the committee. I think that we're going to proceed as if this is a unofficial meeting. So unfortunately, we are not going to call votes or anything, but I think that that's okay with the topics that we need to address today. Um, So I'm not necessarily going to call this meeting to order because it's not a formal meeting. But uh, Jared, could you please go through uh, rules of engagement and roll call to formalize that we don't have a quorum?
1: Yeah. Good afternoon. My name is Jared Allen, Administrative Technician, Lawrence Mm -hmm. Transit. With me here is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. He will work alongside Mike Wasikowski to facilitate the meeting proceedings. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu. In some cases, we may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during this meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. If you are participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. And now I will do roll call if that's necessary. Lance Fahey. Fahey. He
0: normally is in person and he's clearly not behind either
1: of you. Austin Stifler. Present. Mike Wazikowski. Present. Foster Spicinger. <clears throat> Alan. sorry. Allen Ackland. Here. Gregory Critchlow. I don't see them on the call. Bill Wilson. Present. August Rudisell. I don't see August. Freddie Gipp.
0: Likewise. That's four that counted, so we definitely do not have a quorum. Um, That said, for everyone who is here, thank you for attending today. We will uh, still continue through our agenda. Um, It just will not be a formal meeting where we can vote on stuff. Um, So first item on the agenda is public comment. Uh, First, is there anybody in the room with you all? looks empty so there we go nobody from uh the public um online is anybody who's not a committee member uh and who is not on the agenda already uh have anything that they want to address
2: i think the folks i see online are all of our sustainability partners
0: okay um and i assume you would have added written communication to the agenda so no written comments
2: yeah no written comment tonight
0: okay so no public comment. Um, we'll skip over approving the minutes. Uh, committee members, feel free to review them at uh, your leisure and see if there's anything that you do want to add or amend to them. Uh, feel free to send those amendments to myself or Adam and we'll make sure that they get implemented And hopefully December, we will be able to uh, vote on approving the minutes from July and September. So then we come to the first item on the regular agenda, which is to review the uh, draft Douglas County Climate Action Adaptation Plan, for which we have a very large host of people here to help us with that, in particular, Jamie Hofflin. Uh, Jamie, do you have slides, or Adam, do you have the slides to present?
3: I, I do have slides, and I apologize, I did not send them in advance, so I've got them on my on my end, if that's okay, I can share them. I think we
0: can set up for sharing.
2: Yeah, you should be able to share, or let me know if that's not the case.
3: Yes, I can, so I just go ahead and take it from here?
2: Yeah, we'll uh-huh. let you jump into it.
3: Okay. Guys, <clears throat> let me know once you can see the first slide.
0: Sure can.
2: And while you're on our title slide, Jamie, I might actually just do like a a one-minute framing for the group Um, because I know you and I and Mike had some email back and forth. But for the rest of the group, I'll let um, Jamie describe this plan and where they're at in it. But for our purposes, of course, transit has a lot of sustainability impacts. And uh, this this plan will extend much farther than just transportation and transit. But uh, Mike had the good idea of inviting Jamie and others here to talk about this so we could see where they're at. Um, in this plane development and and see some of the uh, mobility components of it so keep it general there but just wanted to give a slight framing for the group appreciate that jamie
3: yeah thank you adam appreciate it and I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk with you all about what we've been working on uh joining me today uh from sustainability is uh, kim kreiner She's our, uh, the manager, sustainability manager for Douglas County, and Kathy Richardson uh, is the sustainability director for the city of Lawrence. Um, our offices used to be combined, um, and uh, last year there was a split, so uh, we now have two sustainability offices. There's the Douglas County one that Kim and I work for, and there um, is the Lawrence office. So, um, and my name is Jamie Hoffling, uh, Sustainability Impact Analyst uh, for Douglas County. Um, So I'm gonna talk to you guys, I'm gonna give you just a kind of a quick rundown of the background of this plan, um, what charged us with or or, where the origins of the plan come from and um, I'll insert a little bit about uh, how we've gotten input from from different people including Adam um, who came to a meeting and gave some input. And uh, Kim is on here to help me answer questions um, as we get towards the end. So if it's okay, I'll I'll give a presentation, I'll make it pretty brief and then uh, give you guys plenty of time to ask questions. Uh, If you do have a question though, as we're going along, please do uh, feel free to stop me and and ask a question. Uh, Members of the committee, of course. Mm -hmm. Okay. Make sure my slides are working here. Here we go. Okay. So our office was charged with writing a climate action and adaptation plan um, from Plan 2040. That is a comprehensive plan for Douglas County, unincorporated areas, and the City of Lawrence. And it charges with writing not only a uh, plan to help us uh, mitigate or reduce greenhouse gas emissions that cause climate change, but also to reduce our exposures to risk and hazards associated with climate change. Our county is also part of a 10-county climate action plan. From the kansas city region so there's a regional plan that's written uh, that we were part of and uh, the the idea behind that plan is also to reduce emissions and, and risk um, mitigate risk associated with climate change and um, yeah so douglas county is part of that and we were able to use a lot of the resources from that plan in the development of ours so this slide uh, is one that we used when we were doing a climate or we were doing community outreach, talking to the community about how climate change impacts them. We asked people to look at the ways that it affects them in these different areas. In particular, and we went a little beyond this as well, but this is really kind of the focus: was looking at how food systems, housing, mobility, land use, environment, health, and economy are all impacted by climate change in different ways. And we really wanted to hear what people on the ground were feeling. Um, uh, the general population being um, one of the groups that we talked to um, and we did that in a variety of ways and I'll get to that in the next slide of how we did our community outreach. It might be of interest to a lot of you and um, the fact that you guys also do a lot of community outreach in your efforts to uh, move forward on, on um, uh, public transit p- uh, policies and um, programs. So the things that informed this plan, as I mentioned, we did a lot of community outreach. Uh, one of the things that we kicked off was um, a hiring of ten community coordinators. So we ha- hired ten community co- coordinators that trained them to go out and talk to people about people from their network about how climate change was affecting them directly. And we wanted to hear the the day to day how people are experiencing it already. Um, notice knowing that climate change is already here. It's um, It's not something just in the distant future, although it will affect us in the future, it's also affecting us now. We wanted to hear from people directly. So 115 interviews were conducted and stories were collected. All of that information is on our website if you're interested in digging in and seeing what people told us. Uh, We also did a community-wide survey and uh, got over 550 results on that, asking people the same kinds of questions, uh, not collected in an interview form, but a survey form. And then we also held focus groups across the county, noticing that we had some gaps in our. Um, and the community engagement that we had done so far. Uh, we hadn't really quite gotten into the Compton, Eudora, Baldwin City, and the unincorporated areas. And then also groups specifically being, um, that we would say are targeted uh, or uh, feel the effects of climate change a little more immediate, um, such as first responders, uh, people who work in human services and uh, the, the population that they serve, um, outdoor workers, um, and uh, local food producers as well. We talked to a lot of different groups there, um, really trying to fill that gap and make sure that we had a good understanding of what people were feeling day to day. We also um, consulted with uh, community plans. So we looked at lots of city uh, plans, um, there, Lawrence has a lot of different ones and mobility section had or the transportation section has um, a lot of plans that we aligned with um, and we went beyond that too. We looked at, of course the comprehensive plan, the 2040, uh, T2050 was a, was a big resource for us. And then um, to add to all that community outreach that we did and that localized um, focus, we um, conducted the first countywide greenhouse gas inventory and uh, to see what we were contributing directly as a community uh, to uh, climate change or the, the emissions that cause it. Um, We consulted with lots of different community climate plans. There are several of these, and there's really no rubric or template out there uh, that we could really draw from. So we really had to just kind of look out there and see what are other people doing with their community uh, climate plans. There's some county ones or some city ones that we looked at. There's also some federal plans that I also um, added to the research as well. And then we had a steering committee um, that Mike serves on, and um, that helped. Our steering committee and the staff advisors um, group; those two met frequently and helped us with the process development. And then also had an early look at the plans as we were drafting them to kind of see what we were, direction we were going with goals and strategies. And whatnot and then uh, we also had additional staff meetings and this is one that adam um, participated in um, to hear about what we were kind of thinking again about um, looking at an early draft looking at strategies we were considering and um, we met with a lot of staff because we thought it was really important to hear what's really feasible. What, um, we didn't wanna put a plan out there that would collect dust on a shelf. We really wanted to make sure that it would align with existing efforts and existing priorities and values um, across the county. Um, we also had working groups uh, where we checked in as well. So this is the results of the greenhouse gas inventory that we did um, as, a, as a whole county. Um, we looked at uh, these different sectors to see where our emissions were coming from. And it was pretty comprehensive. Um, we found that in 2021, that was the baseline year that we were looking at. Um, we had about 1.4 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent uh, that we put out into the atmosphere. We can kind of expect to do that. That's pretty much a baseline and kind of what we do in, in general per year, and uh, given the forest and trees that we have, I don't know how familiar you guys are, but um, forests and trees are known for their benefit of sequestering carbon, so they can actually take some of the carbon out of our atmosphere that we put out and, and absorb it and put it back down into um, down into our soils where it can be used for, for plants. Um, and vegetation. Um, We have about 20% tree coverage across the county and it absorbs by our calculations um, about just over 10% of what we emit. So that brings our total emissions with the sequestration benefits to about 1.25 million metric tons. If you look over on the right of the screen, you'll see uh, the different, the kind of the emissions at a glance and see that residential energy, that's really the, that's uh, what buildings are using for energy. Um, It's about a third of of our overall emissions. Transportation is a close second. And then the third one there is is commercial energy and it's really the um, buildings that are in the the commercial sector. There are other uh, factors or sectors that we've measured as well, but they're a little bit, they're quite a bit smaller. So, looking at our science-based targets um, we wanted we needed to we worked with them i forgot to mention this earlier we worked with a third-party consultant uh, called They're um, their network of local governments that are looking at sustainability priorities and they help local governments to achieve them um, they helped us with this um, they consulted us and helped us do the greenhouse gas inventory and they also helped us with these science-based targets so what we wanted to do is see what would happen if um, we looked at baseline so we know what we actually admitted in 2021 and then we wanted to see what would happen if we didn't do anything at all Um, by 2030 what could we expect with business as usual we just kind of let things run the way that they they would without any additional local action and um, if you look at the far right uh, of the I can put my cursor on it this is baseline it's broken down by residential transportation and commercial the top three sectors business as usual would actually come down a little bit so even without any local action any additional local action we would start to actually see some drop. And that comes from fuel efficiency standards and other federal uh, industry standards that just kind of help bring our emissions down overall anyway. So that's business as usual. There's also decarbonization goals that all the power plants within our county have or the utility companies have. And um, so that's factored in there. And then we wanted to see what would happen if we took additional action, if we started looking at ways to increase rooftop solar or reduce vehicle miles traveled, Um, if we looked at increasing EV electric vehicle and bike adoption. And we can see over there that the uh, emissions start to come down even more. Um, So on their own, they come down about 25.5%. And then if we do additional climate action, we can get closer to 38.5%. This is, by the way, with carbon sequestration included. Um, there are additional measures that we could look at. We can look at further decarbonizing our grid, um, and we have some of those numbers to work with, too. Uh, what I want to point out on this is that these are approximations and meant for modeling purposes. So they're not, even though they are based in science, they aren't a perfect science. So we can only rely on them so much. Um, we don't want to over-rely on them, but the, we did want to use this data so we could really find out, get, get a closer benchmark of what we're actually in and what would happen with actions
0: it's really interesting to me that business as usual shows almost no decline in the greenhouse emissions from transportation sources
3: very little yeah 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 and this does um, account for population growth um i don't have those numbers on any of these slides but that that could be part of that there is that they're our population, due to our population growth by 2030, um, that could be what that's coming from. But it's a really good point that you point that out. It's 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 a much smaller decline than the other two sectors.
0: Yeah, it shows that there's a lot more action that needs to be taken there than, well, not yeah. to say that there isn't stuff to do commercially or residentially, just, you know, it's that stuff that there's a lot of that that's already baked into the pie compared to transportation that involves a lot more uh, infrastructure and heavy investments to, achieve those kinds of reductions.
3: Mm Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and we are fortunate in our county that we have T-2050 that has a, a pretty high-level sustainability effort baked into it, too. Um, and I know the efforts that you guys are putting forth with the central station, um, I, I certainly hope that fare-free is going well. I'd love to hear, actually, how that is going and what the plans are in coming years um, to keep moving people in that direction, to keep making public transit a viable um solution for people or a viable option for people to use as opposed to vehicles. So if we look at energy, this is, oh, I don't want to get into next are the four different sectors or sorry, four different uh, chapters that we wrote for the plan. Um, energy is the first one. This is where we can see the biggest impact um, given our emissions and um, where we we did hear a lot from the community about this. They, um, our community members definitely are concerned about utility costs increasing. Uh, very concerned about the lack of energy efficiency. There are weatherization programs uh, throughout our county and in Lawrence. um, but there's a lot of room for improvement there. Um, there's a lot of it, lots and lots and lots of interest um, in access to renewable energy. Rooftop solar being uh, the primary one that, that we heard. And then there's a, um, um, I don't know if all of you guys have heard this, but there's a lot of distress uh, and concerns about the impacts of utility scale energy. We definitely did hear that, I particularly when we went into the rural areas of our county. Um, and then some of the considerations that we were making when we were oops, writing our plan. Trying to move this out of the way so I can see what I wrote here um, are, uh, of course, the, the that energy use uh, makes up and our buildings make up over half of our emissions. So if you look at uh, commercial and residential to, uh, combined and um, that um, there are there, there, we just have tremendous um, opportunity here. So the, the way we broke this down, we have two different goals and I don't have all the strategies listed here, but you can find those in the plan. Um, but the just to kind of at a high level overview, what we're looking at um, is very obvious. We will need to reduce how much energy is consumed in the first place. That's where you want to start. So that you do that for energy efficiency and we have some targets in our plan to um, bring energy efficiency into the fold by um, about, I think it's 5% is what we were looking at for targets every year until 2030. And then for rooftop solar, we looked at every rooftop across the county to see what's the potential for rooftop solar. And then we set forth some uh, targets, about 10% um, by 2030 of that potential utilized with rooftop solar. Um, And then the the second goal is about building the resilience in the energy sector and um, working with collaborative policy to get there. The next section is mobility, and this is the one I um, think you guys are probably going to be the most interested in. Um, It's uh, moving around the community safely and efficiently. And as I mentioned before, we uh, definitely did uh, utilize a lot of plans that were already written um, that address um, the need to reduce our vehicle miles traveled and we also heard from the community a lot on uh, about stress from uh, infrastructure and extreme conditions. So if we look at how climate change is uh, affecting our infrastructure, uh, there's definitely a lot more stress on the people who are working on those roads and the, the bridges and our infrastructure in general. Um, people were concerned about access to daily needs, uh, traveling to get their essential goods for emergencies. Um, discomfort of just wanting to um, uh, get from point A to point B and do that in a comfortable way. <clears throat> Be it vehicles or um, bus or uh, walking or biking, um, using wheelchairs. Um, people are, were, are concerned about how they're going to get around. And then, of course, the, just the regular vehicle pollution that comes from um, uh, driving before using gasoline cars. Um, Some of the other considerations here were um, that it's the second largest contributor to our greenhouse gas emissions. And then I already mentioned some of these plans that we were looking at. Um, There there were so many (laughs) um, in the transportation section. the number one goal in this section is to really enable more of those low carbon modes of transportation so um teaming up with what the what the other plans goals have or what the other plans have for goals around improving access to those everyday needs um over with the overall target of reducing vehicle miles traveled and we also want to see an increase in ev adoption Um, that is a place where there is there's a lot of ground being covered and making a lot of gains there uh, in the future. We're hoping that there'll be a, a um, electric or charging station, a feasibility study done um, to find out where it would be best for us to put our charging station so that we can do that in a really strategic way. Um, and then just like the energy section, we're also looking at building resilience in our transportation infrastructure to help protect workers that are working in those extreme conditions. And um, just to make driving um, and walking and biking, getting around the community safely and efficiently as possible. The living system section <clears throat> is about balancing land use, uh, ecosystems, and natural functions. We heard a lot on this one um, that people were very concerned about biodiversity loss in our community and wanting us to find ways to um, account for that loss. Um, to really, first of all, be able to see what the loss is, at what rate, um, and address that in, in a variety of ways, really starting with acknowledging, just respecting that, um, acknowledging that it's happening, first of all, and then also finding ways to protect it of course um, through conservation efforts and making sure that we are um, valuing all the different resources that come from our natural world and our ecosystems um and recognizing the value that comes from uh, the soils that can sequester uh, the carbon into it and um, what wetlands can do to help with flood mitigation. Um, the list is very long here um, and there was um, certainly a lot of effort and a lot of um a lot of voices that came from this one. The thriving community one is one that we looked at um, because we wanted to. We really needed to look at health. We recognize that there's a pretty big psychological impact that comes with climate change, um, not only for the young population, although we do hear it the most from the younger populations. Um, a lot of concern about the future, and a lot of chronic uh, health conditions that people are, are struggling with and are only going to see more of. Um, we talked to uh, folks that work with human. Um, work with a population that uses human services and uh, found that there are lots and lots of concerns about compounded stress, um, a lot of concerns about people who are living outdoors and um, how to communicate with them and um, what to do to make their conditions uh, healthier and safer. Um, There was a lot of interest in in looking at access to food, um, better um, resilient workforce and beyond. So this section covers a lot of ground. So uh, where we are in the process right now, we've uh, got our first draft out there. Um, right now it's on the on our story map on our website. It's available to review the entire plan. Um, we have some additions that we're gonna be putting in there as well. We're writing equity considerations. We've hired a consultant to help us with that. We'll also be including um, more examples and more existing conditions. So if you don't see those in the plan right now, um, that's because those are, that part of is still being developed. Um, and then uh, we'll also have potential partners. So if you know any, anyone that you think that we should be considering for our partner in the, in the implementation phase, um, we're taking feedback on, on all of that. Um, we've been hosting open houses. We've had a youth one and we had one in Lawrence at the Union Pacific Depot for the general public. Our next one is going to be in baldwin city at the library and then we have three more after that the one on december 6th is the bipoc reconvening um, when we did the focus group with the bipoc population um, we decided we wanted to go back to that population and have them really look over what we've written and help us um, make sure that we heard we, we heard what we needed to hear and or what they wanted us to hear and that our um our plan really reflects their voice in it And then our final one will be in Lecompton. Um, Through the month of December and January, we'll be incorporating all that feedback. We'll be uh, circling it back to our steering committee and staff advisors to um, help us incorporate that um, feedback. And then, um, sorry, this says update BOCC because this is the (laughs) slide that I used when we made a uh, presentation last week to the the, um, uh, county commissioners. So uh, but this one we'll be updating them and we're working towards adoption or being considered for adoption in February or March of uh, 2024. So um, I'm going to stop and take a little breather there and see if Mike or Adam has anything that you'd like to add and then we can start taking questions.
0: Uh, Adam, go ahead first,
2: please. I guess the only one I would have Jamie is looking at this. I know that we a uh, week ago looks like the last open house here in Lawrence, but if folks um, on this group or this call we're interested in commenting is that digital plan online for comment
3: yes it is and i think it's on my yeah my last slide here um this uh qr code will take you to the website where you can find um more information about the plan and then also take you to the plan the draft and the survey
0: there's a version that is more interactive, uh, more fun to look at, and then there is also a PDF that is not very interactive, but much more accessible to a variety of devices. So uh, uh, if you need help figuring any of that out, I, I'm happy to help you navigate and figure out because I did that myself when I looked at the plan first time.
3: <laughs> Thanks, Mike.
0: Well, um, so uh, I'll start out with uh, discussion points. Um, In terms of what I think this means to PTAC, I think that this is not necessarily in terms of stuff that we need to do immediately. There are things that we need to start doing immediately, but I think it's much more of a strategic view of what does Lawrence Transit need to do to try and achieve the major objectives in the mobility section, which if you could jump back to that, Jamie, I believe one of them was related to uh, reducing vehicle miles traveled, as well as to increase the proportion of those miles that are traveled in vehicles that do not necessarily burn fossil fuels, oil, diesel, what have you. Um, and then to add in resilience into our infrastructure so that it can uh, continue to operate even as uh, the climate changes. Um, obviously, goal three is a little bit easier for us to address in terms of how are we uh, conv- how are we convincing the community to uh, reduce the miles that they travel uh, inside of vehicles? How are we convincing them to use? Uh, Vehicles powered by different kinds of power. How are we convincing them to use personal modes of transit that are not necessarily cars or trucks, but more bikes and motorcycles and scooters and whatnot? Um, for us, then, I think that the biggest thing is simply, you know, how do we focus our? Or for us, it's how do we focus on increasing the reach that we have in the community to convince them convince people that currently travel primarily by personal vehicles that uh, using buses is affordable and is going to get them places that they need to go when they want to go to those places um, and that to me means that you're ba- we have to do a lot more work in the future on expanding the routes that we have in my opinion that uh, there are you know we a lot of our routes follow our major artery streets and our collector streets where there's not a whole lot of coverage in heavier residential areas because we focus our routes there and it makes a lot of sense because that's where people are sourcing a lot of that where people go to be able to tram- to move themselves from one place to another um but People are not always willing to take the small amount of effort that it might take to, say, walk to the nearest uh, bus stop if that's a quarter of a mile walk and they are in the cold or they are... uh, uh, struggling with, you know, power powering their wheelchair physically or electrically to get where they need to go, or they don't have the know-how to understand that they can use a bike or a personal mode transit to get to the bus stop and then use buses to transit them uh, along the arteries to the rough vicinity of where they need to go. Um Affordability, I think, plays a big part of it, that uh, um, we haven't looked at numbers in several months uh, in this committee, but uh, we all saw the first review of numbers that showed that ridership had pretty sizably increased on several routes to the point that we were passing pandemic numbers, and a lot of, or pre-pandemic ridership, and a lot of other routes that hadn't quite hit that point still had a significant recovery. And it, you know it's hard to uh, separate the fact that we had ridership increase right at the moment that we stopped collecting a token amount of fares from people anytime that they got on a bus. Um, that little bit of friction that we remove, I think, is something that we need to seriously consider continuing for the long term so that people realize they don't need to have a dollar or whatever in their wallet when they get on the bus or they don't need to purchase a mobile pass like we did for about a year last year um, before we got rid of fares. the other thing is we need to be available when people want to take bus rides, and I don't remember the exact hours off the top of my head. But I mean, we have we start somewhere in the early morning, six to seven a.m. on most routes, and run into the uh, mid-evening on Monday to Saturday. Uh, we have the micro transit now that's available for riders. Uh, Overnight with the uh, safe ride replacement and that should be expanding once we open up central station and fully deploy a route redesign Um, We also have the new micro transit option that hopefully will turn out well on Sundays Which is the one day that we don't have coverage right now um that you know, it's people need transit roughly 168 hours of a given week. So the more that we can get our transit system to that level of service, providing people options during uh, times when we don't currently serve today, I think that will convince people more to uh, use our right, use our system. Um, That said, I've monopolized a lot of time here, so uh, committee members and anybody else who is on the call, uh, if you have any insights that you'd like to add or questions, comments, concerns, uh, I'd like to open the floor for you.
4: I just want to make a, this is Mark Greta from KU, Uh, just want to make a quick correction, Mike. Uh, The new on-demand replaced Nightline Safe ride still exists for KU students.
0: Thank you for that clarification. Appreciate that, Margaret.
4: They're both awesome. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Open floor. Anyone have comments, questions, concerns? Uh, Alan, Austin, Bill, in particular, I'd love to pick
5: your brains. Go ahead, Austin. I saw you raise your hand. Hello, Austin Stifler, PTAC member here. One thing I'm just curious about with the mobility portion of this plan would be increasing EV adoption. Of course, in the public transit sector, one of the kind of big hurdles to that is increasing electric grid infrastructure to allow for charging of, of vehicles, whether personal or public. Um, I was just kind of curious of how that works in tandem, in your opinion, um, with regard to kind of developing that infrastructure and simultaneously reducing is fossil fuel vehicle utilization and also trying to reduce some dependency on fossil fuels within the power grid itself
3: mm-hmm. yeah austin are you specifically asking about decarbonizing the grid using uh, less fossil fuels in the electricity industry yeah
5: kind of kind of this double-edged sword so to speak of decarbonizing the grid while also increasing capability and sort of bandwidth for ev utilization
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I also just want to um, remind, I mean, I know Kim is also on here and um, can jump in at any time that you'd like. I, I can only see so many people at once, but um, feel free to just come off mute if you want to add to this. Um, uh, yes, that is definitely something that we are considering and um, thinking very much about. And uh, the energy section in here uh, talks a lot about rooftop solar and Distributed generation, uh, which is using um, uh, any kind of non-fossil fuel electricity, and uh, that so that is certainly something that um, is written into the plan, and uh, something that we do need to have happen in tandem. We we certainly don't want people fuel switching from <laughs> um, one dirty energy to another. Uh, so uh, yeah, the idea is for that to happen, and and, and there is um, a trend of that happening. We do see decarbonization decarbonization happening. It not it's not happening quick enough, but it is happening, and there are our, um, uh, more plans on the horizon to continue to move in that direction of, of cleaner sources of energy so as we move into more electric sources of energy um, that that is happening right alongside it um, from at the utility level as well
0: Uh, One thing I would like to add in there. uh, This is something that I hear regularly when I'm uh, Showing off my electric vehicle at uh, car shows that people ask me well. Hey, what about when the power is from a dirty source? Um, The answer there is it is a lot easier to make a very large dirty power plant more efficient and produce less emissions than it is to make 10,000 vehicles that all have tiny internal combustion engines within their cabin that much more efficient. Uh, I, I, I'm spitballing on the exact ratios, but I believe the last I had heard was an individual uh, internal combustion engine for a car could convert about 15% of the energy inside of a uh, gallon of gas to propel it. Um, obviously, you can use some of the other Parts of the energy for like heating the vehicle, and whatnot. But I mean, you're, you're losing a ton of power. In comparison, coal power plants, I believe right now, average somewhere between 35 and 40% of the energy within like a kilogram of coal that gets converted into usable power for a vehicle. So just shifting into EVs, even if they are powered by fossil fuels, is inherently a sustainable. Or is inherently something that makes for more sustainability. And then on top of that, once you're on electricity, you can any upgrades to the grid to reduce power uh, produced by coal, by oil, by natural gas, and the shift to biofuels, to wind, to solar, to geothermal, to hydroelectric, what have you. you're you're just going to continue to rebound benefits on that, where a uh, car or a bus that uses standard gas, it's probably still going to be using standard gas or standard diesel in 10 or 20 years and is not going to be much more efficient than it is right now. That, I think that's a big part of why that business as usual chart showed very little decrease in the greenhouse gas emissions from transportation compared to the other sources because you just can't really
5: clean up an individual car much. Yeah, that's a great point, Mike. Um, thank you for that. I think it's important to just kind of dispel maybe some misconceptions that, that people might have about modernizing the grid and things like that.
6: This is Al Ackman, PTAC member. Um, I think, Mike, your efficiency on the uh, ICE engines might be a little bit off. I think they're closer to 30 to 35% now. Um, and when it comes to the overall impact of the uh, solar and uh, wind generators on the overall system uh, usage is i think it's down in the three or four percent so i mean there's a long there's a long way to go I, um in
0: terms of the amount of energy it's put into the system I, I would definitely agree but I was talking from the point of once it's created how does it get distributed usually it's a lot more efficient at that point um and to be fair I don't know the numbers on solar and wind honestly it, I've only read because you know there aren't a whole lot of large
6: scale solar and wind outfits compared to massive coal power plants. Yeah, I see there's all kinds of information out there, and it's nice to have just an open conversation. Uh, But the reality of it is uh, just what I see in general is that the the adoption of new EV cars, that that's dropping off dramatically, Um, and I've never seen any information where it talks about if you need to have the number of EV cars generated or purchased to make a significant offset, uh, what's, what's the impact of all the mining and all the rest of the, the, you know, rare, rare earth minerals and so forth that's required. And, you know, there's a whole series of things that it's easy to gloss over and say, this is the path. I, you know, just, I think that it's a distinctly complex issue and, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's a good idea to have have a, a nice outline of where we'd like to be but you know it's good to take a good hard look at the practical aspects and you know what's what's a reasonable time timeline to for adaptation and not think this is going to happen in a couple years. Mm
3: yeah yeah that's that's absolutely right and the targets that we're looking at are uh, again made for uh, approximations and and for modeling purposes to see what could happen if we did adopt um, certain percentages um but i really appreciate what you guys are sharing and mike um, and alan both i i would like to see sources if you could share those with me um, because i think austin's right that it's a misconception um, about the grid that we might want to add to our narrative in the in the plan that's not currently there. So, um, it, it, if either
6: of you could share those with me, that would be great. Yeah. This is an LACM PEDAC member again. Yeah. The, the, everybody keeps talking about the, the grid, you know, and, and, you know, I don't want to belabor or anything, but, you know, the electro system we had is basically just a hodgepodge that's developed over the last hundred years of smaller companies being, you know, uh, molded together in larger and larger companies. And, you know the idea of increasing 10 or 15, 20 or 30 percent in a certain area, you may have to do a substantial increase over a much broader area. I mean, it's extremely complex, um, and people talk about how it, you know, the wildly different numbers of what it costs to say do a five or 10 percent increase in the capability of the charging stations. Um, you know, like I said, it's an extremely complex issue, and. Uh, mm-hmm. I hate to see things where people make projections without having a really good firm understanding of really what they're talking about.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that I, I, if I'm understanding correctly what you're saying, I, I do think this is something that would be addressed in a feasibility study um, to look at best placement for charging stations and um, to not jump too quickly to just throwing them up <laughs> um, only to have them crumble or not be used, so.
6: And a real quick comment, what I've seen I don't have an EV, but several neighbors that have them, you know, they like them, that's that's great. Um, They don't take them on long trips for a number of different reasons. Um, But the charging stations themselves sometimes, the super stations or superchargers, those are, you know, extremely high demand on uh, ampacity and, you know, it's nice to see those, but the fact is that a lot of them don't work uh, once they're installed uh, and other issues that, you know, like I said, it'd be nice to see a comprehensive review and not just uh we need 6,000 more, so that number's this without looking at the maintenance issues and where do you park while you're waiting to get your car charged and what do you do while you're waiting, those types of things.
3: Absolutely. Yep yep and those are discussions we've been part of and will continue to be part of and not just our office but others that are working on this um i don't know if it's okay for me to say this but i just say margarita uh, margarita's num- uh, hand has been up for a minute so yeah,
0: i was going to call on everyone now. <laughs> yeah i
4: figured so. you were Margarita, sorry. go
3: ahead i am perfectly capable of being patient
4: and hi jamie it's nice to see you and kim um i'm going to put on my member of the public hat for a minute um i am Live in a townhome complex, and so this, uh, you know, if I were ever in a position to consider adopting uh, buying an electric vehicle instead of a gas powered vehicle, there's nowhere for me to put any charging anywhere near my parking space without it being the complex's responsibility. So I'm curious if there's any aspect of this that builds in how to. Promote EV adoption within uh, communities in the town, like apartment complexes and uh, town. Our homeowners association, uh, the townhome complex, um, it's an example of we're all individually owned, and so there's a homeowners association. But the homeowners association can't be responsible for necessarily responsible for building infrastructure without significant costs to all of the people here who don't own electric vehicles. And so having not read anything about this before today, um, I would like to ask that you consider, if you haven't already, addressing how to promote or help fund that sort of infrastructure within privately owned communities. Um, And on campus, with my KU hat, Uh, You know, it's a chicken and the egg question, Uh, and somebody just sent me an email today asking when we're going to install EV charging on campus, and um, this is my parking at KU Hat. And it's really a matter of there aren't enough people with electric vehicles to have one yet, but we also... People won't buy the vehicles if there's not a charging station. So how do you promote both? And will you also help identify funding sources for private entities? I'm sure you can figure out our own. It's one of the areas of research I'm actually working on, but um, it's a challenge, let's just put it that way. And I hope that your plan addresses all of those aspects too.
3: Yeah, yeah, the way that we are looking at EV adoption right now and charging is um, through that feasibility is, is encouraging that the feasibility study be done first, so that be really the first step. And uh, we can make a recommendation, though, that, and, and it would be in there for sure because this isn't the first time I'm hearing um, the importance of looking at privately owned facilities and uh, multifamily housing um, as well as on campus. Um, you definitely got to have those charging stations available to you, and um, so that would would be something that would be part of a feasibility study would be to see where is the, yeah, where is going to be the most um, uh, utilized places to put uh, charging and then how to address funding. And um, fortunately, there is a lot of funding available and within um, federal government, primarily through IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, for studies and funding of charging stations. So, yeah, I, did that does that answer your question well? And address your concern
4: well yeah I just I'm mostly just hoping that your plan will address it and wanted to make sure it's part of what you're planning on including within that
3: context yeah yeah thank you Mm -hmm.
0: mm-hmm I'll just chip in here since uh, I am the resident EV enthusiast on this group Um, your question about uh, getting people who don't necessarily have their own place to install a charger like a private home private garage or they don't work at a place that already has chargers on them. Uh, you know that, that's the biggest rub that the uh, electric vehicle community is trying to combat is you know for me it's super easy. I pull into my garage at the end of the day, I plug in my car, I go into the gra- I go into the house and I don't think about it until I leave. And someone who doesn't have that convenience is going to basically operate the same way that they would an internal combustion engine vehicle. They're going to drive it until they run out of charge, uh, or for an ICE, run out of fuel. They'll figure out that they're running low and they need to stop somewhere to plug in. And we run into the problem of currently there are way more gas stations and uh, uh, dispensers of fuel for individual cars than there are electric vehicle chargers. And they are not distributed in the same way. Um, You know, I I can count on like two hands, all of the chargers, all the charging locations that are in town because I've used most of them. Um, But
4: I live near one at the hospital but um
0: it's used a lot
4: i'm going it, to argue it's only with you two that plugs, there so are it several doesn't really other... provide
0: the usability that you would need to do it on a right. daily basis unless you knew for a fact that that one of those chargers was always going to be free and that's not
4: the or case, park my there are car a lot of people it is, to use them or park my car there when it is and use the bus to get home since i'm on the same route but um uh, I'm going to tell you, I'm also an EV enthusiast, but it's uh, the practicality of it is a daunting. Yeah, factor.
0: we're still in the early adoption phase of technology for electric vehicles, in my opinion. Yes. it's I hard mean. to know when you actually shift over that point to get to the majority. Um, there are countries where it's like 80% sales. They're clearly past that point. We are not in America. There's a lot more space that people fill up and there's a lot more people that drive here than a lot of other places. And that makes the needs of the country and in particular for us, Lawrence and Douglas County, a lot different than a lot of other places. So it's definitely a tough nut to crack. Uh, Thank you, Margretta. I don't think I see Bill on the line anymore, so I don't think I need to ask him. Um, any other last thoughts, comments, questions, concerns before we wrap this up and go to next topic?
2: I can just mention from staff a couple of synergies. So uh, next year we'll be kicking off our zero mission transition plan for how we get to zero emission bus fleet. Uh, We won some federal grant money a couple years ago now, and we'll be kicking off that project. Uh, You mentioned route redesign in Central Station. Route redesign was focused on uh, making the most efficient one-seat rides for people throughout town. So limiting the need for people to transfers, moving people from housing to places they want to be, whether that be work or grocery or medical or, other commercial areas. Um, so there's a lot of intentionality around where our transit resources are going and how we're getting people to use our service for some trips. Um, this topic will come out a little bit in the next presentation, but uh, the idea of the bus not as a mutually exclusive option to automobiles or walking or biking. And um, you know our on-demand service that's currently overnight and uh, soon will be on Sundays as well. Provides an opportunity for people to use transit uh, in some parts of their life. They don't have to completely um, leave behind all of their modes of transportation and only use the bus, but they can use it uh, when it makes sense and reduce some vehicle trips. So those are a few of the ways um, I look at the work that uh, Jamie and her crew has done here and think about how we'll try to carry that forward uh, from transit's part of the puzzle. Um, and are excited to see this come together. It's a lot of work.
3: Thank you so much, Adam, for for pointing those out. I did jot those down. I might ask um, to, I might follow up with you to make sure I get them um, uh, correct. And uh, because I think that that should be put in the plan as well. That there, are, those alignments are are there.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
7: Yeah, I wanted to um, piggyback on that a little bit. Kim Kreiner-Ritchie, Sustainability Manager for Douglas County. Um, Just wanted to acknowledge that um, Adam's contributions and Adam, your staff, I know you met with Jamie early on and um, voiced some some of those alignments and even more um, in the process of developing this. And so I think looking for those ways that we can acknowledge like work in progress or um, commitment, you know, commitments happening that that this plan aligns with um, in ways that they're not, you know, because there are, you mentioned like the um, bus electrification. That's, you know, a goal that you have um, that might not necessarily be a line strategy in here, but we can elevate as something that the community is already doing that's um, acting in progress of this. And so, yeah, so, yeah. I think Jamie already said it, but getting back with you guys at some point just on how we can craft that into the plan sounds like sounds like a good idea. Sure. Yeah. So thanks thanks for that, Adam.
0: Okay. Uh, next item on our agenda to look at is uh, site selection plan for the downtown station. And Adam, I believe you have slides present on this.
2: Yes, I'll bring this up. I built this as a 15 minute presentation, so we'll see if I can hold to that. I bet I can.
0: Yeah, till 521.
2: (laughs) All right. Okay, everybody see that all right? So, uh, this presentation is one that has been uh, delivered um, a few different ways over the last couple of months. We've been doing some behind the scenes work, um, presenting in front of the Lawrence Chamber, in front of Downtown Lawrence Inc., um, trying to get um, some of this information out to businesses who were involved the last time around. And so, um, what you're seeing here today is an evolution of some of what we heard and some of what we're still aiming towards okay so wanted to uh, frame the purpose of this project so one of the things we've been hearing is um, is surprise at the fact that a downtown station project is still on our books uh, with central station opening there's some misconception that uh, because that station is opening we are uh, no longer looking at improvements downtown and um, that's not the case so uh, with route redesign uh, that that process did shift a lot of transfers to the, the new central station site but it also showed that there remains a lot of need in the downtown area so with or without any improvements downtown we'll continue to have five routes that serve the area Uh, There's lots of people who live um, and work or shop in this area. Uh, People aren't only transferring to buses down here, they're, they're going to and from places in this area. So the idea of this project is to provide additional comfort and convenience, trying to make it a more viable option for people to travel to and from this area. Notably, this project does not include the scale or amount or all the types of improvements that Central Station has. We're not including an entire building, and customer service, and indoor lobby, and all of that work. But what we are wanting to include, and what we need to include for good operations, is what we've called out on the right side of this screen. So I included a picture of what today's setup looks like. It's the current um, sidewalk that's across from the Lawrence Public Library. We call this the platform, even though it's a simple uh, public sidewalk. but. Uh, This platform really lacks some core things of a good uh, transit operation. We do not have individual bus bays, so it's unpredictable where a bus route might be given on what order they pull into the space. Very minimal weather protection, uh, minimal seating, Uh, there are no driver restrooms. Right now drivers use the library, but we operate outside of public library hours. And there's, there's not uh, technology that allows people to know uh, when the next buses are departing. So uh, the bottom picture is one of Central Station. We've called out what those elements look like. So what we're talking about when we talk about downtown station improvements. Uh, you see the weather protection, the large canopy that covers the sawtooth bus bay. Maybe a little harder to see, but there is uh, seating, Uh, that's called out with uh, wind block, uh, shelter, uh, glass panes, and also a space where there will be a digital sign that indicates uh, what route serves that bus bay and when it's next departing. The restroom photo at the bottom left is uh, a type of restroom that's in another community, um, yet to be determined exactly what ours might look like, but something similar to this, which would be um, kind of a standalone restroom facility for drivers. There are a few concerns that have bubbled up more frequently from people who are concerned about us uh, moving forward with improvements downtown. Um, the first one I've listed is the perception that few people ride the bus. So is it worth the amount of space we would need for improvements downtown uh, when that space could be used for other things? We hear about parking a lot, uh, but but uh, other items come up as well. So notably, we have. Um, about 561 daily boardings that occur um, throughout 2023. That's been our average daily boardings at our current platform across from the library. Um, the next concern we hear a lot is that uh, transit feels unsafe because of perceived rider behaviors. So uh, people aren't sure about um, who's riding the bus and how those folks will act if they were to be near a downtown station or on the bus. And so a couple of things related to that concern is uh, this group helped usher through some improved rider suspension policy. That does give us a good framework for how we address um, negative behaviors, unsafe behaviors that can happen on the bus. So that has been in operation since June of this year and is going pretty well. We're working through um, you know things as they come up, and that's been a helpful tool. We are also developing a central station code of conduct um, which will provide clarity on what is and isn't allowed at the central station site. Uh, The Lawrence Public Library recently developed a code of conduct for the building and the lawn adjacent to the library, and we're modeling ours off of that. So um, these two tools provide good guidance for how we um, regulate and respond to behaviors that Uh, we do not want you know we need and want our system to be safe for anybody trying to access it we have middle school age kids riding the bus and we need uh, the system to be safe for them as well traveling alone so something we care about something we certainly want to address when it happens um, and there is this perception third concern that we have heard is that uh, transit riders themselves are less likely to be using buses in the downtown area because they um, are unlikely to live, work, or shop in that area. One of the ways we've been, um, you know, that that's an anecdotal thing that we hear. We're not uh, aware of any actual survey work that anyone is doing to understand, um, you know, what mode of transportation people use when they're accessing uh, places downtown. Uh, So, one of the ways we're addressing that is we've been doing interviews with our riders. Uh, We've been having a few staff members go out and talk with people who are on our buses and in the downtown area and talking about who they are and what they do and and where they're headed. So, um, what you see on the right side is a handful of pictures from folks that we've talked to. We'll be uh, releasing more information um, um, about some of our riders and what they're doing and who they are to help Help the general public understand that that really the cross-section of writers are people doing a whole lot of things and that also includes living working and shopping downtown so the the framework for this discussion will really look at uh, what we did before back in 2021 when we were seeking um, approval from the City Commission on concept plans site selection for downtown what some of our our shared values are that we that we do care about safety in downtown. We care about economic development in downtown. And then also um, kind of what our plan forward looks like. So in 2021, we did rely on a lot of prior work about site selection. There was uh, 2014 and 2018 studies that looked at um, what would a station look like. That Those studies ultimately led to what is being constructed out at Central Station. Um, But it did evaluate sites that that the city owned, things like parking lots. But I think there, uh, it's our understanding there was a lot of confusion still around how uh, sites were zeroed in upon in the downtown area. We did look at primarily parking lots that the city owned. We did not look at private property that would have to be purchased Uh, for cost reasons. We did not look at park space. Um, So people towards the end of the 2021 process were were providing new ideas about site selection that they didn't feel like were considered fairly. Um, And then broadly, people uh, felt like the uh, work was rushed and that that process moved very quickly. Um, The photo I included here was uh, four of our staff who went out delivering postcards, hand delivering postcards to 192 businesses in the downtown area to try to get people to come to uh, virtual public meetings, of which we had a handful that were very low attended. So this effort did lead to about uh, 40 or 45 people joining us on a call, Um, but at that point we were pretty deep in the process and and not able to uh, communicate in the ways we wanted to with, with folks. So moving forward, we want the approach to be, to feel more intentional, to feel like it um, brings people along at a pace that is more comfortable. Uh, We've broken this up into a few different phases. So the first phase is to establish a steering committee that will include voices that represent very different perspectives. That was something we struggled with last time, was we would have a meeting that had a lot of concerns about transit from a business owner, downtown uh, resident perspective, and a few or no uh, riders. And then we'd have another meeting that was um, you know, heavily attended by riders or people more familiar with transit but no downtown business voices. So steering committee should help us have a group that uh, is along for the ride all together, if you will, You know, folks who can share differing opinions throughout this process. The first phase will also include uh, defining a downtown boundary, uh, establishing what criteria we'll use to evaluate any site that we might consider. Second phase is about soliciting all possible site ideas. And then the third phase is uh, ranking and uh, presenting those up to the city commission for selection of a few sites to do concepts with and one site to ultimately move forward on. We've broken each of these uh, steps or phases into individual slides here. So this first phase, again, establishing steering committee, Uh, staff. As staff, we have an idea of what um, a downtown boundary would be. Um, You know, it needs to be a site that's within a boundary that it, uh, it functionally helps people get to the housing and the businesses that are downtown. If it's too far away, it's not serving that purpose of connecting people to and from the place they want to go. This will also include, like I mentioned, defining what criteria we're going to use to evaluate any given site. The second phase would be populating uh, the, in, the inside of that boundary with as many sites as people might think about. Um, you know, there's, there's no bad ideas during this part of the process. Uh, we may get recommendations for sites that are physically too small for us to operate on. We might get recommendations for sites that are privately owned and would cost several million dollars to purchase, of which we don't have the funds for. Um, We won't shy away from receiving those recommendations. We will evaluate them against the criteria. They may ultimately score very low on the ranked list, but we don't want people to feel like uh, we did not consider um, an idea that they really thought was a good idea, which I think we heard some of uh, last time around.
0: Adam, could you uh, just confirm for me that all the dots that are on there are not necessarily candid places, but like hypothetical, like what we would show people?
2: Thank you. For example, purposes only. Yes. Third step, uh, what we hope happens is that we have a a long list of sites that um, staff has thought of, that steering committee members have thought of, that general community members have thought of. We're able to Evaluate those against the criteria that have been established and rank them Um, there are hopefully several sites that are uh, viable you know they're they're physically large enough to fit five buses they um, you know meet some of the other criteria that have been established and it may be that um, the steering committee would like the city commission to advance sites one two and three for concept plans and select one of those for development. Uh, but it could be that City Commission might not be comfortable with site number one, but willing to look at concepts for sites two, three, and four. That would be completely fine with staff, so long as they're kind of within that, that list of viable candidate sites that can functionally work for um, the, the needs that, that transit has for size, for weather protection, canopies, seating. Uh, that sort of, those sort of elements. Timeline is uh, generally throughout the entirety of 2024, so um, maybe I'll take your eye off to the right side of the screen for a minute to note that we'll be presenting um, a presentation similar to this in front of the City Commission on December 19th. It will be a work session item, so there won't be any votes taken. It will be um, to get any feedback the commission might have but there won't be any votes at that time we will based on some of that feedback we'll rework any part of the plan we need to and come back to the city commission in uh, january of 2024 with a draft steering committee the scope of work for a steering committee and um, you know an idea of of where this process is headed and then we'll get going first quarter will be about um, getting that steering committee up and running defining the boundary uh, criteria. The second and third quarter will be about uh, getting all the possible sites we might think of and ranking them as we get into uh, late 24, early 25 uh, is when we'll be looking at having a site defined that we'll be moving forward on design and construction for. There are grant funds with this project that we've won uh, from The uh, one through a state process, but they're federal grants. And uh, so this is about a $2 million project. About $1.6 million is covered by uh, non-local money, federal money. A lot of text on this screen, but just for um, transparency, we wanted there to be an early understanding of what Uh, public outreach will look like for this process. Um, Steering committee meetings will be monthly, very likely, but you see on this slide a series of uh, virtual options, in-person options that we'll have um, at our current platform or in the library. Um, There's some listing in here about us attending DLI meetings and chamber meetings to make sure we're going to the businesses that we weren't able to get in front of as frequently before And so, um, uh, these are some of our strategies we're looking at. We have a a draft steering committee that, um, interested if you all have feedback from, we'll be seeking city commission feedback as well. Uh, Steering committees really operate well when they have about 9 to 11 members. Right now this is shown as an 11 member committee. It has a mix of, um, you see a couple of business-related groups, Chamber, DLI, um, Lawrence Public Library and the Senior Resource Center uh, serve a lot of the same population as our our transit system does. And they are also neighbors of the current platform, so have some um, knowledge and understanding of how current operations um, affect that in immediate area. Looking for... Some insight from drivers, riders, so you see that on here as well. Neighborhoods with Lawrence Association of Neighborhoods. Uh, This group, um, PTAC, and then some appointees from the mayor currently listed. So there's certainly a lot of other organizations that we um, plan to get in touch with as far as stakeholders. You know, the university um, obviously operates in partnership with us, the coordinated system, so uh, certainly a lot of students writing to and from this area and will want to um, hear from KU, admin, as well as students. Uh, there are other groups that we regularly engage with, um, Haskell, the um, school district. So those groups won't be excluded from this process in any way, but we've tried to look at uh, who might be the most, um, the most skin in the game for, for this type of work. Didn't quite hit my 15 minute, but I'm not I'm not too far off. So, we've reached the last slide of content here. Looking for uh, thoughts or feedback from uh, PTAC members on, you know, if you remember the prior process, uh, you know, any other project concerns you might have that we should be thinking about. Um, and then, as you kind of saw me walk through this process, any any thoughts or concerns or tweaks about where we're headed here.
0: Uh, thanks, Adam. Uh, I'll open it. to Alan, Austin,
6: do you, either of you have comments, questions, concerns? Alan yeah, well, Axlin, PTAC member. Uh, Adam, uh, are you know to check with the first responders also?
2: Absolutely. Um, so we, we left off, there's a number of groups that we consider kind of um, we'd want them to have, if you will, like a staff involvement or staff level type review of all of this work. So first responders, definitely. I also think of like our um, equity and inclusion director, but, like, these folks don't necessarily need to be voting members of a steering committee. They'll certainly be involved in the, the nuts and bolts of how this all works and making sure it would be structured safely and, and operationally, if that makes sense.
6: Yep. Thank you. And
5: then Austin Stiffler, PTAC member here. Um, so it sounds like it'll just essentially be a rubric-based system where there'll be criteria that'll be laid out and they'll just rank choices from there.
2: Yes, you know, I, I think there's def- there's going to be gray area. You know, there, the so a big topic that came up last time around was people. Uh, we would get suggestions for places that were privately owned, and there's nothing that, uh, from a transit operations perspective, would prevent us from doing that, save that some of those properties in the downtown area are going to cost three to five million dollars to purchase and we don't have those funds so if if that's a strong desire from the community at large that a current privately owned site is the right place for transit to be um, and the public agrees that it's a good use of money for the city to buy that property for this type of use we're not opposed to that but it 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 needs to be on the criteria list as a consideration Um, so I'm not I don't know if i have a completely clear picture in my head austin of what that looks like but we'll have to note or at least have part of that criteria mention that you know this site is privately owned this one's not um so that that's part of the consideration for for city commission awesome thank you adam park space might be another you know people recommended um portions of watson park or south park and i think there'd be some community dialogue on if we'd as a community be willing to carve out portions like lose park space for transit? Is that a thing we're willing to do? You know, lose parking lot for transit, is that a thing we're willing to do? There's there's gonna be a lot of uh, opinions about that, but we need to lay it out on the table.
5: And that's a good point as well, because then there's kind of compensatory factors of obtaining additional parking then also costs money to procure space to do so.
2: Yeah, so some of those criteria isn't really going to be pass fail, it's just going to be is what it is, do we, you know, do we value it in certain ways or not
0: to me i think there's really three different kinds of criteria that you need to consider one is yeah your pass fail kind of stuff like if we're saying that it needs to have the space for five bus bays and there's only four space for four buses to go there uh, there ain't anything in the world that's going to make that a viable option um there may be other things that we set an objective standard on an objective um, sorry i'm trying to use my army terminology there and it's probably not good um we use the terms objective and threshold as uh, requirements for different things where the threshold is the level that you say is minimally acceptable and then your objective is well what are you actually trying to do so it may be that four bays is actually viable but it's not really the best situation and then five is what we ideally are aiming for Um, oh gosh what was the last thing the the last category would probably be things that are more mushy in terms of determining is this really a good thing is this really a bad thing enough and people may have uh, different perspectives on whether they're good or bad Um, whatever we use with any of those classes uh, ideally I want that information that feeds those metrics to be as um objective in terms of not subjective as possible um so like if we're saying like is there sufficient park space nearby it shouldn't be a survey question of is is there enough park space near here it should be uh how far away is the nearest park from here how far is the nearest bench that people can rest at near near here um that way, there's less possibility for uh, people to throw a wrench in the works and say, hey, I, I don't like these locations and not and not be able to point to a very specific reason why. If we set objective standards and objective metrics, then we can point to that as the reason why certain places are better than others and uh, try to shy away from people putting a uh from stopping the process for whatever reason or nothing is there anybody else who would like to chip in here okay um thank you for that presentation adam um, hopefully our working session with the commission goes well next month uh we are past five thirty, so i'll go very quickly on the rest of the stuff um at, well austin you're the only other ptac member here um anyone who wants to uh, add something to our agenda public comment work sessions whatever feel free to email Adam myself or Lance Fahey we will absolutely uh, discuss those work items when uh, it's an appropriate time to and uh, usually it's you know the next meeting is the most appropriate time to so please bring that stuff up
4: Um,
0: I'm guessing there are no other items from PTAC members. Uh, Austin, uh, give you a moment shaking your head no. Uh, Transit staff items then. Adam, is there anything that you wanna bring up from transit staff items quickly?
2: Yeah, it's a long list here, but I'll be brief. Uh, Central station still on track to be operational January 2nd, 2024. Uh, We should, we're in the punch list stage right now, finishing up little odds and ends. Um, We should hopefully, be able to start working out of that building before Christmas is the plan. A few different things have to happen for that to work, but we're in good shape. Uh, we'll have a press release about new branding bus wraps, but I wanted to point out that should have been 2023. So here in the next uh, couple of weeks, they'll, some of that work will start. Um, that was another grant funded project. So there'll be new bus artwork on most of our buses. Uh, Another bus project is some digital signage that will start going in uh, early next year. I had mentioned the zero emission plan that will start next year, and we just had the downtown station presentation. So that's what we're looking at.
0: Uh, I'd love to hear more about the transition plan as uh, that gets flushed out. Um, Everything else, thank you very much for providing those updates. Um, I am guessing nobody else has anything they want to bring up uh, because I've given everyone sufficient opportunity for that. Our next meeting is scheduled to be held on December 11th, and uh, hopefully uh, we will have a quorum and we can uh, have official business at that point. Um, Thanks, everyone, for attending today. And uh, we're not formally adjourned because we're not in the meeting, but we are adjourned. So have a great night. Awesome. Thank you,
5: especially to Jamie and Kim.